We're so glad you've joined us today for this teaching from City of Life Church. For information on City of Life and to find more teachings like this, visit us at www.col.tv. Now, let's join the service. Amen. I talked last week about the idea that seeing the world through the lens of Jesus is what brings clarity to our vision in life. That when I was 17, I went to the doctor, to the optometrist, and I, I, without my glasses, I, you guys are not nearly as good looking. This looks like a room full of blobs right now, uh, no glasses on. But when I put my glasses on, I see all the good looking people, look at someone next to you and say, if I'd have known you were going to look this good today, I would have tried a little harder this morning. Tell them, say, this is a room full of good looking people, room full of good looking people. But when I put my glasses on, I'm able to see with, with pristine clarity the world the way it is meant to be seen. Well, uh, living life with my glasses off is kind of like living life without the vision and looking through the lens of who Jesus is. We're able to get ideas about what things look like, but we're never able to see with the clarity that we're meant uh, to see with. So last week, that's what I talked about. Who does Jesus really claim to be? Who do we say he is? Today, I want to focus on a topic called origin stories. And my text scripture is John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. It says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Talking about origin stories. So I would like to, you know, you guys, many of you that know me know that I love movies. So I'm, I'm constantly making movie references. I'm going to do that today. Uh, so there's a lot of people here that are probably too young to fully get this first example. So I'm going to give this example, and then I'm going to give you an example that you will know in just a second. So bear with me. For anyone that's a little older, you're going to like this first part, hopefully. Uh, but one of the greatest movies ever that's ever been made, one of my favorite movies ever, is The Godfather Part Two. Uh, one of the reasons I love The Godfather Part Two is it is really an interesting type of storytelling because The Godfather Part One chronicles the life of Vito Corleone, uh, a crime family, one of, the, one of the biggest crime families out there, and it's played by that character is played by Marlon Brando, and you, it's one of the first movies that kind of started the whole you know, mob genre of film, like, like crime family type of films. Uh, so many other types of movies, Goodfellas, things like that, sort of came from this idea of The Godfather, and it just like swept the Academy Awards. Everyone won these awards in 1972 for Godfather. Well, Godfather 2, the reason I think it's so cool and interesting is it's a different kind of storytelling because it's actually a prequel. We are used, mostly in culture, to sequels of movies. Like, I love Rocky. The original Rocky is one of my favorite movies ever. And I have to admit, I love Rocky IV, the one where he defeats Ivan Drago and invents CrossFit in Russia that winter. Uh, it's a super cool movie. Uh, but after Rocky IV, it kind of started getting a little ridiculous. Wouldn't you agree? Like, when it started getting into, like, Rocky V... You know, Rocky 14, where he's an old man beating another old man with a cane. You know, the plots really started going downhill eventually. And you've got all these movies that have, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and the, the sequel numbers start getting so high, it just gets, it gets ridiculous. What's cool about The Godfather 2 is it's one of the first movies that I can remember. I don't think it's the first movie. It's one of the first that I can remember 
that really built out the prequel idea where you take the first movie, you introduce people to a character that everyone comes, comes to know and appreciate. Well, in part two, they went back and told the story of Vito Corleone uh, in the early 20th century in Italy when he was a little boy. And concurrently, while we're seeing the story of Michael Corleone, the son of Vito Corleone, in modern times, we're also seeing the origin story of his father, Vito Corleone, simultaneously uh, in the movie. And so it's really interesting, Vito Corleone's character, the one Marlon Brando is as an old man in part two, is played by Robert De Niro as a young man. And we get to see the whole history. It's so interesting to watch how he becomes. Now, okay, for those of you that are young, you're like, why is Pastor Jeff talking about mob movies in church? I don't get this. That's a really old movie. I would never see that. Okay, so let me break it off for you this way. Star Wars. Uh, originally when Star Wars came out, it came out with A New Hope. Then they went to Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Classic movies. Well, you'll notice that when you watch them, it, those were episode four, five, and six, even though they came out first. So the idea is that George Lucas had an idea to go and tell the backstory. So he waits like 14 years, then he releases Phantom Menace, the Phantom Menace. And, and the Phantom Menace is the story, and then followed by Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith, which tells the story and the history of Darth Vader as a little boy, Anakin Skywalker, who ends up being Luke's father. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry I ruined it for you. Yes, he's Luke's father. And, and, and so it's, it's all backstory. What is it? It's a prequel. Prequels are interesting. Uh, Wolverine Origins was a really good prequel. One of my favorite, probably my favorite trilogy in history of any movie that I could watch at any time would be the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight Rises or Dark Knight trilogy with uh, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. I love that whole thing because I think it's really a neat idea to take a character that we all have heard about forever. Tim Burton's take on Batman in the 80s with Michael Keaton, all that sort of quirky, interesting, silly, weird stuff, and then to take it and make it so dark with the backstory of his parents dying and him and the League of Shadows and going to Tibet and learning ninja skills and all this stuff. It's a very intricate, complicated thing, but the idea of a prequel is cool because it's a character we know about and we learn about their origin story. Can I just tell you something real quick? Jesus has the ultimate prequel origin story. John here is telling us about someone that we already know about, and he's going back and giving us some history about who he really is and the full story that maybe we do not know about. Now, culture as a whole has origin stories for everything. People that are even without Jesus come up with creation origin stories about myths, like where creation came from, like the Kotas, an ancient Nilgiri tribe from India, had an idea that the creation of man came from basically the armpits of someone named Kamataria, sweat droplets that came from a person and his sweat created us. Look at someone next to you and say, I hope that's not true. (laughs) Kamataria sweat humanity and, and, and we came from his sweat. That's, that's gross. Okay. It's not true. And it's gross. Uh, Another origin story is the Native American Yuchi tribe says that water once covered all of the earth, and this is what they actually believe, water once covered all the earth, and the, the, the crawfish, whose name was Sakchu, uh, volunteered, and he created all of the dry land, so human history kind of kicked off with Sakchu the crawfish. I'm not sure how Sakchu the crawfish got these extraordinary powers, uh, but this is where everything came from. So we, our origin stories come from all over the place. But we know who Jesus is. Uh, we know the Christmas story. 
We know the, uh, you know, the, the virgin birth. But John is telling us something that is even before all this, that precedes all this, a prequel of sorts. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos, is what he actually said in the Greek. Not just the word, meaning the word of God. Jesus is the living embodiment of the word of God. That's true. But what John was actually saying is, in the beginning was the logos. Well, you say, what is the logos? The answer to that is the logos, in, the, in Greek culture, the concept of the logos motif, it was the answer to any supreme question of, that you could have about life in general. Anything that could not be answered, the philosophers would say, well, I guess the logos knows. I guess that comes from the logos. So does anyone here remember can you actually remember life before Google, before you could look up answers on your phone? Raise your hand if you remember what it was like to have a question that you couldn't get the answer to. I mean, I remember back, there was a time period of my life where I would, something would come in my mind and say, what is the name of that one actor that was in that movie? And I'd ask someone, they go, I, I don't know. I'd say, well, come on, you know that one movie? What's the name of that actor? They go, I have no idea. And I'd go, oh, I have to call my uncle in another state to find out the answer. And he's like, you know what? I can't remember. And you're just frustrated. So like when people actually didn't know the answer to a question in philosophical conversations, they would say, I guess that, that the Logos knows. So that, the, the Logos was the answer to any unanswered question. So John is taking this concept of the Logos, which was a really important concept in Greek culture, and he's fleshing it out with all these Jewish Hebrew ideas about who Jesus is, that he's the fulfillment of the, the messianic prophecies. So he says, in the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, was the Logos, the Word. And he says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God. That is really important. And I don't want that to sound confusing that the word was with God and the, and the word was God. It's important uh, to make the distinction because he wants to say, first of all, the word was with God. And what that means is that there's more to God than just one representation. It's one God with three distinct persons. And he said, but also the word was God. So Jesus was with God, but Jesus also is God. He is inseparable from God. It is really important for you to know this today, that it's not God the Father up here and Jesus down here, and the, I'm not going down there, but the Holy Spirit down there, uh, my, my, my bunnies are not that good to get back up here. So it's not, it's not different levels of, of who God is, that you got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but the, it's three representations. The Word was with God, but he's saying it's also important for you to know that Jesus is God. Somebody say Jesus is God. So what he's doing is he's taking, and, and notice the language. What's the very first scripture in the whole Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He takes language we're already familiar with. He, he uses that same phrase. In the beginning was the word. So now he's giving us more to the story that we already know. See, in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 26, it says, God said, let us make mankind in our image. So now, even Genesis 1 is opening up the idea that the Godhead is more than just one person. It is the Father, it is the Son, it is the Holy Spirit. Now John is explaining to us that Jesus is part of the Trinity, and he is, is God himself. Now, if you have ever had someone knock on your door, and they're wearing like a tie and a white shirt, and they want to talk to you about God or the Bible, you start asking them all these questions, and they're very evasive with their answers. 
and you start saying, well, I don't, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, because I believe in the Trinity. Really, why do you believe in the Trinity? Well, John, the book of John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. They, they open up their Bible. They say, well, where does that say that? Can you just read this to me line for line? And you open it going, yeah, give it to me. And you go, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And they go, see, it says the word was a God, not God. And what happens is that is a mistranslation where people have taken the principle and the doctrine of the Trinity and for the purpose of their own agenda changed the fact that Jesus is God to the fact that he is a God. Okay, And, and it is a mistranslation that is exclusively there to fit their own agenda. Now, Paul goes on to talk about some of the things that Jesus did. And he does not talk about Jesus in a way that sounds like he is a God. He talks about Jesus in the way that it actually is, that he is God. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son is the icon, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him who Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross this is so important for us to, to know and to understand there is unity and diversity and majesty and mystery in the community of the trinity the trinity is a, it is a it is such a significant part of what we believe as Christians and recognizing that Jesus is God himself. If Jesus was not God and he went to the cross, even our, on our behalf, we could not have the forgiveness of sins because a normal man would not have the authority to take upon himself the collective sins of humanity. But Jesus being God, if Jesus is a God and he died on the cross for our sins, we're all finished. But if Jesus is God, and he died, which he is, and he died on the cross for our sins, then we can have redemption through his blood. Now let me explain this to you from 1 Timothy 6, 15. It says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is alone immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. Look at someone next to you say, unapproachable light. Whom no one has seen or can see. No one can see God is what this says. It says, no one can see God because he is unapproachable light. Anyone who says, well, I had an encounter and I saw God. Well, I don't think so. I don't think you saw God. You may have saw something that was a representation of God, what the Bible calls a theophany, a representation like the cloud, you know, the cloud by day and the fire by night or the burning bush. That's called a theophany where you're able to see a representation, something that represents God. Oh, but believe me. Uh, we can't even look into the sun, y'all. We can't even look into the sun and behold the glory of the sun without our eyeballs burning out. What do you think would happen if you tried to look at the one true living God who spoke into existence the sun? He said, let there be light, and boom, the sun popped into the sky. He's the one that was responsible for the sun. We can't behold the glory of the sun with our own eyes. What do you think would happen to us if we tried to look into the face of God? 
So see, what the Bible is telling us is that Jesus is the icon that, that the image, that word for image is the Greek word icon, or which is the word by which we get icon. The sun is the image of the invisible God. So what is it telling us? If we want to see God, who do we look at? And Jesus is God. So that is the way we get access. And you say, well, what do you mean that we can't look at God? He's unapproachable light. I'm talking about he's the one that the angels bow down before, that the Bible tells us, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they come up and they look at him. They go, ah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Ah, holy, holy, holy. And they do this eternally. Why? Because he's so amazing. That every time we even try to get a glimpse of him, so much goodness, so much glory, the revelation of how wonderful he is blows us away. And it, I mean, it's just crazy. I, I was talking about God and how good his glory is in the last service. And I, I was talking about, did you ever see Raiders of the Lost Ark? You guys remember Raiders of the Lost Ark at the end when they opened the Ark of the Covenant? And they were like, it's beautiful. And they're like, they start melting. Why? They're beholding the glory. I started talking about that at, at Colso and my watch fell off while I was talking about how good God is. Now I got to get my watch fixed because just even talking about how good God is, your watch falls apart. It's amazing. You can't even talk about how, how wonderful He is. <laughs> I really like that watch. But He's just good. If we were to, if we were to see God, uh, we would melt just like that, just like where's the lost ark. But you know what? God made a way for us to behold him. How? We look at Jesus. We're able. Not, not only are we able. John chapter 3 said, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And, and, and in that story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, all the Israelites had been stricken uh, and, and bitten by snakes that were poisonous. And the way that God wanted to heal them is Moses lifted up a symbol of a serpent which represented the cause of their affliction. And by looking upon that serpent, they were made whole. And John 3.16 compares Jesus being lifted up that we must put our eyes on Jesus and him being lifted up represents the sin that afflicts us. And when we put our eyes on Jesus is by looking upon him and believing whereby we are saved. That's what causes us to be saved. So we are supposed to look at Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we are able to perceive God. Here is the crazy part of all this. The part that absolutely blows me away is that the logos, Jesus, who we're talking about, that, un, un, that matchless, unbelievable incredible, glory-filled God that created everything. It says nothing was made in this universe that was not made by him. So he's not a created being, for one, because he made everything and he didn't make himself. He was eternally pre-existent. It says in the beginning was the word. In the beginning of all things. He was the beginning of all things. Here's the thing that blows me away. Is that that logos, John chapter one says, the word became the Logos became flesh and blood. Listen to what it says. And moved into the neighborhood. Look at someone next to you say, Jesus is from my hood. <laughs> Anybody from the hood? Real quick, just be honest enough to raise your hand if you're from the hood. 
you say, well, Pastor Jeff, what you know about the hood? Well, let me tell you something. I mean, my parents, when I was growing up, we lived in a car. Okay, they were traveling evangelists. We had no house. I mean, I, I didn't have a house until I was like six years old. We lived in cars. We lived in trailers. Sometimes churches would put us up at, at, in like the parsonage, like in the back room of a pastor's house. I didn't know what it was like to have a house. Even when my dad, my dad was in an organization where he would preach and the, the people that were running the organizations were not comfortable with the kinds of people that were coming to his church. Why? Because broken people, divorced people, people with tattoos, people that everybody threw away were coming. And his churches were blowing up, starting with like 10 people and getting hundreds of people. And to keep him from inviting those kind of people, they would send him to a city where no one had ever built a big church and that they knew that he was going to fail. But you know what happened? He'd blow those jokers up too. Because when you preach the gospel of grace and the message of hope, nobody's going to keep people out of the building. But one consequence of that... God didn't quit blessing us, but one of the consequences is we struggled a lot until I was in, well into my teens, until we you know, got some consistency in our life. But, I mean, we lived in houses that roaches were in the walls of the house. It wasn't my mom and dad. My mom is extremely clean and kept everything great, and our house was beautiful, and everything was in order. But don't you know that if roaches are in the walls, you can't hardly keep them jokers out of your house? How many people hate some demonic roaches like me? I hate them. I hate them little punks. Little demon. I curse at them things in the name of God. In the name of I bind you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Die. Die like the evil insect that you are in the name of Jesus. Evil things. But you know what? Jesus moved into my neighborhood. Back in, back in those days, when my family was struggling to make ends meet, and my little sweet, beautiful mother that is now a sophisticated doctor, and, and she, she's published, a published author, and, got, and she's brilliant, but back when she didn't have no education, she was just trying to raise her family, and she used to make me clothes. I didn't have enough money to buy. It was called OP. Who remembers OP? That was a surf clothes back in the day. I wanted some OP. One time, she sewed OP on one of my shirts. You know why? Because she the OG. My mom was the OG, and she sewed the OP on my shirt. That's a true OG right there. But can I tell you something? Jesus moved into that hood with me. And he was in your hood, wherever you're from. There's people here, you grew up in, in poverty, or maybe you grew up in another nation, another country, or you come from a place where your family never had anything, two dimes rubbed together. There's people that live in overseas in, in impoverished conditions that we can't imagine. Jesus moved into that hood. He moved into that neighborhood. Why? The Logos did it for one reason, and one reason alone. Do you want to know what the answer is? You. You. The answer to why the Logos stepped down from the ivory palaces of heaven to take up residence in that kind of neighborhood. The answer to that question is you. You say, well, technically it's all of us. Shut up, it's you. It is you. I'm talking about you. He came for you, 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 you. Come on, somebody give him a praise if you're glad that he did it for you today. 
It's for you. He loves you that much. And you know what his theme song was? Well, we're moving on down, moving on down to the side. Moving on down to a beat-down apartment on the south side. Oh, moving on down. That's what he did because he was up here. It's called the Jeffersons, young people. You need to watch it. Get some culture, my God. If you don't know, now you know. <laughs> he moved down from here to come find me. Hebrews 4 says, we have a high priest in Jesus that can relate to the feelings of all of our problems because he was tempted by every single one of them. The only difference is he overcame all of them. We didn't. So he moved all the way down from here. The Logos did all that. The supreme answer. See, why do we spend so much of our lives searching for affirmation? We got to take this selfie one day. Let me put this here, right here. This is me today, and this was me five years ago. And then we try to compare every single day just so we can get affirmation. One little boom hit from someone, one little word. We're just trying to get anything we can get. Why is our self-esteem so low that we overpost? I do it too. I'm, 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 my point is like, why do we do this and we act like we have nothing going on. The logos moved from heaven to our hood for us. I, I think that's just, just crazy. I mean, we're talking about the logos. Jesus, the one who moved from heaven to earth to move into your neighborhood. He's the one in Isaiah 41 that said, I'm the first and the last. He's the one in Isaiah 44 who said, I'm the first and I'm the last. There's no God beside me. He's the one who said in Isaiah 48, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. He's the one who said, Revelation 1, 8, I'm the Alpha and Omega, who, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. He's the one who said in Revelation 21, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He's the one who said in Revelation 22, 13, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. He's the one who said in Revelation 1, 17, I am the living one. I was dead and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and to hell Jesus is the Logos and he stepped down from heaven and moved into our hood for us somebody give him a shout today if you love him and you believe he's good thanks for listening your generosity makes this broadcast possible so if you'd like to be a part of what God is doing here click give at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. Join us again for more great teachings like this one.